I do want to start here in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18. I want to share with you our series verse, and let me read it to you. It'll probably help you kind of get an idea of what this is all about. Verse 18, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So it's a very simple verse, but it has such a powerful truth that we have to grab hold of. And so this entire series is about helping us understand that we can come home, that we can come home to a loving father. And in that, by nature of being in relationship with this loving father, we also can have a home. And I'll explain what that means a little bit in just a moment, but it just kind of sets the topic and the idea before you that something that God is doing is to help you see that maybe what you're currently experiencing isn't all that God has for you. And so one of the things that we've talked about is how sometimes our own rebellion and even sometimes our own religion can get in the way of something that is so vital, so important to God, and that is a relationship. Like, like from the very beginning, God has always been interested in a relationship. If you go back to Genesis, God made Adam and Eve in a garden and all of that was, what was the purpose of that? So that they would be in relationship with God. And so it wasn't just about rules and regulations and all the things that sometimes we think God is about. It's really about a relationship. Because see, I want to I share something with you about what relationship this particular relationship is all about. Listen to this. Relationship allows us to continually receive the love from God or our Father, look at this, who, who, who provides a home for us that is safe and secure. Let me say that again. That, that, that it produces a relationship with a loving Father that creates an environment for us that is safe and secure. How many of you know that human beings grow best in safe and secure environments? It's just true. God knew this. The other thing that happens as a result of that relationship is it helps us experience what God wants us to experience. And that is that we would know that we're loved. We would know that we're accepted. We would know that we're protected. It, we would know that we are affirmed and nurtured and disciplined by a God, a Father who loves us. And so we've got to get this. We've got to understand this because it really is at the heart of what God is all about. Now, the Bible says very clearly that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's you, if you identify that way, the Bible says that you are called a son or daughter of this loving Father. Now, I also want to say today, if you're here today and, you, and that's not your story, you, you haven't entered into that relationship, I just, say, I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. I hope that something I say draws you to a God that loves you. As we talk about what Jesus has done on our behalf and what God is all about, I hope that maybe by the end of this message you are open to the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Because 100% the Bible says that if I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that I am a son or daughter of God. So what's the problem? I mean, if that's true, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. The problem is, is that, that we may know that we are a son or daughter of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're experiencing that in our life, that we're living that out, that we're having a regular uh, uh, experience of being a son or daughter. Because how many do you know that you can know something, huh, and not necessarily live it out? 
I mean, you can know something and not necessarily experience it in your life. And God wants you to not only know that you're a son or daughter of God, he wants you to also experience what it feels like, what it looks like to, 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 to fully live into this environment that's safe, secure, where you can experience love, acceptance, nurture, affirmation, all the things that God wants to do to build you into a son or a daughter of God. But you can actually have that. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want more of that in my life. I don't, I don't want to live less than what God has for me. Do you? Don't you want it all? I mean, if he's going to give it, don't you want it all? That's what God wants. And so I want it all. God, give it to me, right? <laughs> and so we don't live like sons and daughters because the truth is we often live by what maybe the Bible would refer to as orphans. We have this orphan mentality, even though we're sons and daughters of the Father. We think with this orphan mentality, this orphan mindset that comes in and, and keeps communicating things to us that are not true. And it takes away the very thing that God wants us to have. See, our identity is in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. But something keeps us from seeing and living daily into that experience as sons and daughters of God. I want to pray for us just real quick. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that each person in this room would be open to whatever it is you have for us. God, I pray wherever we've taken on a mentality that is not from you, wherever we've stopped thinking and living like sons and daughters, God, would you show us? And Father, anybody in the room today that's never experienced what it means to be fully in relationship with you, God, would you open us up to that possibility this morning? And if you're into that, if that's something you want, just simply say amen. Now, what is this orphan spirit? I've talked a little bit about it. I've dabbled in it over the last two weeks. What is this orphan spirit? It's important you see this because it actually affects everyone. Like you're like, well, it doesn't affect me. No, no, it really does. See, the Bible says that, that we all came from the same place. Matter of fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you discover that there was a guy named Adam and Eve, and they had an experience and an encounter with God in relationship that actually led to us experiencing this kind of orphan mentality. Because of what they did, because of their disobedience to God, it led to this, almost like this infection this, that led to humanity thinking on a regular basis like an orphan. And so you have to understand that we're all in the same boat. It's important you get that. The other is, is that the primary tool, one of the primary tools of the enemy, of Satan, you've heard his name, maybe the devil or Lucifer, you've heard these names, but, but, but the primary tool that he uses to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to give you as a son or daughter of the Most High God, everything that, 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 that God wants to impart into your life, is through this tool that he uses called the orphan spirit. If he can get you convinced that you are an orphan, if he can get you convinced that you have no father and no home, and that you will not experience this safe and secure environment where you experience love and all of the things we've talked about, when that happens, he can't do anything. But when it doesn't happen, he can wreak havoc in your life. Because our, we can know something. I can, I can fully know that I'm a son of God and not necessarily live it out. And so the orphan spirit comes about when we are disconnected from the Father and when we are disconnected, consequently, from our home. 
Because, see, that's what happens is when you're disconnected from, from the Father, you're also disconnected from the home. You're disconnected from all that God wants to give you. So, so, so let me give you just a brief definition of the spiritual orphan. A spiritual orphan is a person who feels that he or she does not have a home, a place that's safe and secure in the Father's heart where she or he feels love, acceptance, protection, affirmation, nurture, and even discipline. Because, see, the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. Because he loves you. And so it's important that we understand that that is what God wants to give us. But the orphan mentality often will keep us from it. It'll keep us from it. Because see, the orphan spirit wants you, to under, wants you to experience that and wants you to feel that you don't belong. That you don't have a home. Like when you come to church, or maybe it's your first time, you've come to church before and you're like, I just don't belong here. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Because you do. Because God has already said that you do. That he has a place and a purpose for your life. And all you have to do is embrace it. He wants you to have that in your life. The enemy is always busy trying to get us to think like orphans so that he can dismantle and demolish the very foundation that a human being needs. And that is a loving father. A secure environment to grow and to thrive and to become all that God wants you to be. See, we were designed to live with God forever. Did you know it? We were designed to be with God in relationship forever. We are called to relate to Him as our Father. That's what He wants. That's what He's wanted from the very beginning. And that's why once the thing happened in the garden, he set into place a rescue mission that eventually led to his son coming into this world so that you could be restored back to God and know God as your father and eventually experience an eternal home. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. And so you have to understand this because, see, if... If we have a connection with the Father by nature, if we have a connection with the Father by nature, we also have a home. It's important you see that, that when you relate to God in this way, you are invited into a safe and secure environment that's going to lead to your growth. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pursuit of Happiness. It's a, it's a film that Will Smith did. He was the main actor in the film. And, and it's a kind of a fascinating story. But, but basically what it is is that there's this father and he has a son in the story. And, and, and the entire story is Will Smith's character kind of loving him creating his for his son, loving him, a safe and secure environment, all of that, like throughout the entire film. And the thing that this little boy doesn't know, he doesn't understand, he doesn't even get, is that they're homeless. But his son doesn't even know it. And his father is protecting him, creating a safe and secure environment. Even though they're in this difficult and challenging world and environment, the father is doing what a father does and it protects and cares and nurtures and all the things. And what happens in that film, it's so fascinating that this kid doesn't even know that they're homeless. I mean, they're sleeping out of their cars sometimes. He doesn't even know because the father has created an environment that has led to health that he knows he's a son knows and, and and it leads to this amazing experience in our lives when that happens and so disconnection from the father leads to this orphan mentality it leads to an orphan mentality and what happens is we start to feel certain things 
Like when that happens, what happens is you start to feel more insecure. Did you know that? That's where a lot of insecurity comes from. Our security is in the Father. And if we don't have that, well, guess what? You live from this insecurity. I was doing some research recently about leaders. And, and a lot of times you think that one of the biggest problems leaders have is their ego, right? Their pride, you know? But this study was really fascinating because it talked about that most leaders, it's not pride. The thing that takes them down is their insecurities. It's their insecurities that get a hold of them. Because they wall themselves off from people. They don't ever want anybody to know where they're insecure. They don't, they don't even want God to know. And so they keep those things from people and from God himself. And God can't heal it. God can't heal anything you're willing to keep. If you hold on to it and you won't give it to him, it's hard for him to heal it. You know what I'm saying? And so you got to understand that. You've got to understand that, that when we're disconnected, we start to experience insecure. We have a lack of peace. I mean, how many of us don't need more peace in our life? I know I need more peace in my life. We start to feel unsafe. We start to feel exposed. We start to feel unprotected. And ultimately, we start to feel like orphans. No father, no home, which leads to a mentality that's contrary to what God ultimately wants for us. Did you know that Jesus experienced this same thing? Look at this in Matthew 27, 46. Jesus is on the cross. And if you know the story, you remember him crying out on the cross as he dies for you and I. He cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in a moment, the son of God is disconnected from his father. Can you imagine never having that experience before? What that felt like? Well, see, the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus understands everything that you've gone through. He understands everything that you're going through. He even understands what it feels like to feel like an orphan. But the good news about Jesus is he was perfect. He walked through that. He saw the orphan mentality. He saw the orphan spirit and he grabbed hold of it and said, No, I'm a son of the Father. And he did it perfectly. And the good news is the fact that he did it perfectly led to you and I's ability to be reconnected with God and to, to ultimately embrace our daughtership or our sonship. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus even described hell as an eternal separation from God. Get that. He even used the language of being separated from God. And so you have to understand that this is a reality. This is something that we're dealing with, we're struggling with as people. And, and, and this is the thing you have to know, that from the very beginning, all the way back to the garden, you remember there was a guy there by the name of the Satan or devil or Lucifer or whatever, and he was, he was embodied as a serpent. Remember this? Perhaps you've read the story as a serpent. And, and the thing you have to see in this story is that he was committed to something, wasn't he? He was committed to getting the people of God, Adam and Eve in particular, sons and daughters of God, to believe a lie. That was his goal. If he could get them just to stop trusting God, that he knew that ultimately it would lead to their separation from him. And the reason he knew that, and the reason he was all about that, and the reason that this is one of his biggest tools is because that was his experience. See, Satan was the first orphan. Whether you know it or not, it's true. Historically, we know that Satan 
got wiry. And he thought that he would somehow ascend himself above God. And as an angel of the Lord, you probably aren't going to win that battle. But the truth is, he thought he might. And so in Isaiah, I'll read it to you, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. And I'm going to read in the King James Version, so it might be a little, you know, interesting because of its dialect. But listen to this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Isn't that beautiful? How art thou cut down to the ground with which didst weaken the nations? Isn't that, you like that? You like that? I mean, come on, it's the king's English. You should love this. Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, watch this, and I want you to notice all the I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Look at this, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Pride comes before a fall. He believed that he was going to somehow supersede God. And in the process, it led to his own demise. He didn't ascend, he descended. Because the Bible said he was thrown down because of what he had done. And as a result, he lost his father and he lost his home. And ever since, he's been trying to get you guys to do the same thing. And it's important you see that. It's his most important tool. Because if you notice in this passage of Scripture, you notice a lot of self, don't you? You notice a lot of I will, don't you? And I don't know about you, but sometimes we feel like, I don't know, you know, you get into a situation and you think, you know, if I don't do something, nobody will, right? We start to think that. And I'm not saying it's bad to work hard and go after things. I'm just simply saying that you have to always live with a posture before God that says in my weakness, he is made strong in me. And that I'm, all, I'm able, not because I'm cool, but because he's cool. I'm strong because he's strong in me. I'm able to do these things because he gave me the skills, the talents to do it. What, did you give them to yourself? You didn't. God gave them to you. God gave you your personality. God gave you gifts because he wants you to do something great with them. And so he's the giver. And Satan wants to steal all of that from you. Everything. And did you notice at the very end of that passage, he says, I will be like the most high. Go back to the garden. And what did he say to Eve and Adam? That if you eat this, you will be like God. And in that moment, this infection comes over the people of God. That leads to us not having a home and not having a father. Satan ever since has been, his goal has been to make you orphans, to feel fatherless, homeless. He wants you to experience that. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God wants you to have. And here's the thing that I, I noticed when I was thinking about this is that we live less than our inheritance. Think about that. You're given an inheritance and you say, eh, I'm good. I don't want all that. I'll just take a nickel. God will give you everything and you take a nickel. That's what we do. 
And that's what the orphan spirit is all about, is trying to convince you that you are not a son, that you are not a daughter, that you can't just walk right in to God's house and say, God, I'm here. I know you love me. And I know everything that you have is mine because your word says so. Because I'm not only a son or daughter, I'm a co-heir with Christ. That I have inherited everything that God wants to give me. And I don't need to live less than or lower than. I need to embrace the victory that's mine. And I'll tell you the story if you don't know it. Genesis 2, all the way back, starting in verse 7. I'll run through this really quick. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And what does it say he did? It says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. What is that saying? You were created by God. You were created in the image of God. And God says that you're good. That's what he says. He breathed life into you. You are his son and daughter. Watch this. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. What's he saying? He put you on this planet with a purpose. You have a purpose and he has a plan for your life. Verse 25, skipping down. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Come on. Because see what happens when the father was no longer around and the home was no longer around. Shame entered the picture. And guys, if, if you know shame, if you've experienced shame in your life, you know how difficult it is to deal with. Because see, shame says to you, not just that you did something bad, but shame says to you that you are bad. It gets at the very personhood of the individual. It gets at the identity of the individual. It begins to infect everything that you are, if that makes sense. That's why shame is so difficult. And that's what it says, that they felt no shame. Wouldn't it be amazing to live in a world where you didn't feel shame at all? That's what they experienced. And then going just a little bit further into chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says that they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord among the trees. Why were they hiding? Because they felt shame. And that's the moment God shows up and he says, who told you you were naked? Because he's trying to assess the fact that somehow shame has entered into this world, this perfect relationship, and now shame is here and he's sitting here thinking, what in the world has happened? And it's because they wanted to be like God. It's because they wanted to be in control. Because they wanted to take on this rebellious atmosphere and mentality that the enemy was peddling. And as a result, they were banished. They were banished from the, from the garden that God ultimately wanted them to live in forever. And I don't know if you know that story, but that's the story of humanity. And our banishment led to us having no father and no home. And sometimes people ask, well, why did they get banished? I mean, if God's so loving, why did he do it? Well, I think sometimes we think that consequences, you know, that there aren't consequences to decisions. And there are. But I think the other thing you have to see in the story is as you get to the very bottom of this, as he banished them, it says that he put angels on the, on, on the outside of this area and, and they were there to guard the way. But they, right at the very end it says, and, and guard the way to the tree of life. 
See, there were two trees in the garden. Sometimes we only think that there was one. There were two trees in the garden. And one tree was the, the garden or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which she ate from, and he ate from. And the other was the tree of life. And so they, they were banished, not just because they, were, they had grown in knowledge and wisdom, but if they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have become eternal like God. And, and, and so there would have been a problem. And so God said, no, we're not going to have that. That's not going to happen. And so they were cast out. No home, no father. I don't know if you've ever experienced what it's like to be evicted. Have you ever been evicted? You don't have to answer. I remember when I was younger, there were a set of circumstances that led to my family uh, being evicted from our apartment. And I don't know if you've ever been evicted, but we were evicted from our apartment. We ended up living in a motel at a truck stop um, for a year. And we would, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of strange to live in a motel. I mean, it just is. It's just kind of strange. And we would cook meals there. I mean, we had a little hot plate. And, you know, you do your thing. And perhaps you've been in that environment before. But there's something about feeling like you're, you just, it's, it's not home. It's just transient. It's temporary. It just doesn't, there's something about it that doesn't make sense. I think that's what has happened to all of us as humans, is that's the experience we've had, and we feel that quite often. And, and the thing I want to say to you today is that that can change, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's not to feel homeless or fatherless. It's to experience the fullness that God has for you. Because, see, here's the bad news, and I've already said it multiple times. The bad news is that we're disconnected from the Father, and therefore, consequently, no home. But let me share the good news with you. Because, see, we want to focus on the bad news, but no, we've got to see the good news. See, the good news is Jesus. See, Jesus is the one that came into this world sent by God to come in and reconnect you and me back to a loving father so that we could stand before the world and say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the most high God. I have a heavenly father that loves me and I have an eternal home now because of what Christ has done for me. And that's what we have to see. And so Jesus is the good news. He's reconnecting us to our Father. He's helping us understand that we have a heavenly home. And I didn't share this in the last service. You guys are going to get some good content here. This is free. The local church is designed by God to be the agency that helps get God's kids home. That is what we are about. That is what the mission of God is about. We want to see people transformed by Jesus. Why? So that they can experience a father that loves them. So that they can fully understand that they are a child of God and that God has a plan and a purpose for their life. Come on, local church. We are a family of God on a mission from God. That is what we are about. If you ever wondered. But see... It's important that we dig just a little bit deeper because you're like, okay, I get it, orphan spirit. I probably don't have that, but somebody else does here. <sighs> Hold on now. Because see, if we're going to rescue orphans, we have to learn not to live as orphans. 
Like we actually have to be able to see it in ourselves if we're going to help other people get to God. And so I've, I've put together a little list of what I call the 16 indicators of an orphan spirit. And now I'm going to run through these quick, so don't try to write them down. I, I mean, I can send them to you. Just email me or email us. I'll send them to you. But, but I want you to see how the orphan mind thinks. Because sometimes I've found that we don't, we don't think we think like this, all right? And so if you, if you manage to get through these and not one of these relate to you, I need to set up a meeting with you. And I want to talk to you about pride. Because see, and then someone asked me after service last time, they asked me, they were like, well, what if you have all 16? I said, well, then you're just honest. You're just being honest. I appreciate it. Because see, we all need God to get better, but we have to see the problem if we're ever going to see the problem fixed. And so here's just a few I, I came up with. Number one is that we have a victim mentality. That we, we actually think like victims. Did you notice that Adam and Eve in the story, if you've read it, they blamed the serpent. Like they wouldn't take responsibility. I was a victim. This serpent showed up and he was really smart and he tricked me. And they take this kind of victim mentality. And that's what orphans do. We, we, orphans will not take responsibility when you have that mindset. And they love to feel persecuted. You know what I'm talking about? They'd love to feel like the victim. Or like maybe we've said it this way. This person has a martyr complex. You ever heard that before? And so sometimes maybe you've thought that way. Uh, you think that maybe sometimes people are out to get you. That they're just out to get you, you know. And, and that things aren't fair and all those kinds of things. And you didn't get a fair shake and this person did. And you know what I'm talking about. You start to think like something just wasn't right, not fair. And I, I think fairness is an interesting thing. I don't have time to preach on that, but God is not all that interested in fairness. And I'll just set it there. Because sometimes we think he is. Like somehow he's all about fairness. But if that was the case, why does somebody else have different gifts or even gifts that maybe they have more gifts than you? <gasps> Scandalous. Can't believe God would do that. I mean, why would God give one guy ten and another a hundred and another a thousand? So, I mean, this fairness thing, we've got to really get, get, we've got to think about that, all right? All right, I don't have time for that, but I'll let you. Number two, distortion of reality. Distortion of reality. In other words, we see things that aren't there. We believe things that aren't true. We exaggerate things. Have you ever had this happen to you where you walk into a room and like you see people talking in the corner and the thing that goes through your mind is, I bet they're talking about me. I wonder what they're saying about me. You know, because you have this mentality that, that somehow distorts what's real. I've had that happen before. You know how like some people get invited to a meeting and you don't get invited? And you're like, wait a second, why didn't I get invited to the meeting? They got invited to the meeting. Are they more special than me? Do they love him more? Do they? You know what I'm talking about. Come on, church people. You've never seen that happen. Why did pastor call him and not call me? Orphan mentality. Number three, jealous of others. Comparison of success. Yeah? 
comparison of accomplishments, comparison of blessings. Like when we see somebody get ahead, we're not like, woo, good job, baby. We're thinking, man, I got ripped off. I'm smarter than that person. You get passed over in a job. Woo-wee. Right? It's jealous of others. You have an inability to celebrate other people. Number four, anger and rage. Come on, guys. Sometimes what happens is an orphan mentality will use it. They'll bully their way to win. So they get angry. They get louder in order to dominate or conquer so that they win. And that's an orphan mentality. How about this one? Assumption of inevitable rejection. Like, I'm just going to get rejected. I call it the, the, the George McFly. Remember, remember, remember uh, Back to the Future? Some of you are like, I've never seen that movie. Which you should, but anyway. So George McFly was sitting at the table with his family, and they're talking about him getting a job or getting something. I forget the whole line, but, but he's just sitting there. He's like, I just don't know if I could handle the rejection. So he's not willing to try. And that's how he's lived his life. He's lived with this sense of I'm always going to be rejected. How about this one? Don't feel like I belong in any context. I kind of feel like just kind of out of place, odd. You know that I just don't fit. God says you do fit. So why are you feeling like you don't fit? See, that's interesting, isn't it? You feel homeless and odd. How about this one? Always trying to earn love. You know what I'm talking about. Did you see what I did? Honey, I I washed the dishes. Look at me. Honey, I did the laundry. I cleaned the whole house. Look at me. Am I good enough? You know, always striving but never arriving. Always wanting. I, I was thinking like when I when I first started preaching, you know, there's a sense of like, man, am I doing this okay? Am I, you know? And I remember I'd go to my wife after after I'd preach and I'd just say, honey, did I do good? Huh? Did I do good? Am I so good? Do you love me? Do you think those people think I'm awesome? <laughs> what was I funny, baby? And all that is is me. All that is is my insecurities. Because see, some of us, we can't enter into relationships fully because those relationships are not giving us the affirmation that we want. Because we're always looking for affirmation. And if the affirmation doesn't come, then something's wrong with me or something's definitely wrong with them. I can't believe this place isn't more encouraging. You see what I'm saying? And it gets a hold of us. We start having these thoughts and the devil just steals everything. See, we have a hard time receiving anything. Some of you are really good at giving, but you're really bad at receiving. And it's important you see that. Like God is a giver, but he's also a receiver of our worship. So God is modeling that for us. So the idea that somehow I shouldn't receive. And I remember I was so thankful I had a pastor that came to me one time. And he would always, like I was in college, he would always give me like a $20 bill. 
You know, I was his youth pastor and he was always helping me out because I was, you know, a little poor college student or whatever. And he'd give me a $20 bill. And I always thought, man, I don't, I feel bad about taking your $20 bill. Because he wasn't like, you know, swimming in cash. And I just felt bad about it. And I remember he sat me down and he said, look, if you don't learn to receive, that is a problem. Because what happens is the person that's giving it to you has probably been told to do it. And when you don't say thank you, I, you know, rather than, oh, you don't have to do that. You take that, you know, you take that back. What you're doing is you're hurting the process. There is a process of blessing that God wants to see in your life. And so anytime someone gives you a gift, you say, thank you. I received that. Now, if it has strings on it, that's a whole different conversation. If it has strings, you can say, you can take it on back, shoot. But we have to learn to, to receive compliments. Some of us think like orphans right now in our lives. So like literally, I would come to you and I, I look you in the eye and I say, hey, I just want you to know that you're loved by God. And I love you. And I look you in the eye and I say it. But there's something in you that can't receive it. You get what I'm saying? Like people look you right in the eye and they give it to you. And it's real and it's genuine. But there's something holding you back from actually receiving it. That's that orphan mentality. It's that orphan mentality. You got to learn to receive the compliments, the love, the blessing. Because see, you can't do it alone. You're not strong enough. You need people in your life that are encouraging you. That's what we need. All right, another one. Constantly deal with fear and shame. Constantly dealing with fear and shame. Constantly anxious. You ever, you ever felt that in your life, that there's this lifestyle of anxiety? Now, this is interesting. I was reading this. It kind of bothered me. All right, I'm just going to be honest. This bothered me. So they connected fear and shame to this anxiety, right? And then they said, if you're one of those people, I'm like, oh, here we go. If you're one of those people that on a regular basis sit and shake your leg, I'm like, you'd shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Because I do that. Like, I literally will sit and I'm like. <laughs> like, you come to my family's house, like, literally, all my brothers, my father, we were all sitting on the couch one day and my wife walked by and all of us were shaking our leg. <laughs> she was like, what is wrong with you? The whole shake. You know, like, I mean, it was just the weirdest thing. But somehow the, the shaking of the leg, and, and I was trying to figure that out, and, and, and they're saying there's an anxiousness to you. And I'm like, hmm, I think it's probably four cups of coffee. But it's worth looking at. I remember I was having this meeting with this lady one time, and, and, and she's sharing her heart with me, and she's looking for some counsel and whatever. And... Uh, I guess I'd been shaking my leg the whole time she was talking. And she finally just said, hey, do I make you nervous? I was like, you sure do. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But I thought that was interesting that her impression of me was that I was kind of nervous or anxious, which I thought that was interesting. And so the anxiety sometimes comes all over us because we have this fear. We have this shame. You know, that's where escapism comes from. So, like, we try to escape from these kinds of things. That's why people do drugs. 
That's why people look at pornography. That's why people drink too much. That's why, because they're trying to escape something. That's why some of us watch way too much Netflix. We're trying to escape something. We're trying to hide from something. We're trying not to look at something. You ever felt that way? You get home one day and it's like, man, that's been a tough day. I just want to veg out and not think about it. Right? And sometimes that can be healthy, but sometimes it can be destructive. It can lead to certain addictions and behaviors that aren't good. Here's a couple others, and I'll be done. A lack of basic trust. Hard time in silence. Is this safe? You hide behind rules instead of a relationship with God. Like if you do everything right, you're just like, yeah, I'm good. You might be full of pride, but you're like, I'm good. Rebellion, religion, it's not going to save you. It's only relationship. And sometimes we even go a step further. We try to control God. Like we really do. You ever done it? Come on. Where you're like, you know, if, if you pray about something and he doesn't deliver, you get mad at him because your will was bigger than his will in that moment. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. See, sometimes we function like servants rather than sons. We don't think like a son would think or a daughter would think. Easily or constantly offended. Ooh, doggy. This is a whole, jeez. I've actually called offense. This is the mantra of this generation. That's all we do is get offended at everything. I'm offended. I'm just offended at you. Why are you offended? I don't know. I'm just offended. I read something on the news, and now I'm offended. You know, that person didn't do this. I'm offended at you. That, you know, you get it. So we, we take on this mentality of offense. Everything is happening to me. And then it leads to that, that I'm consumed with me. Do you ever think like that? Come on, Americans. We never think that it's all about us. Never. Never, right? And I love America. But shoot, sometimes it's all about us. And the Bible would call that a baby-like tendency. That you're an infant in your development. That's no fun to be called that, is it? Some of you are like, I don't even like this church anymore. Preacher called me an infant. But Paul says we got to start eating meat. Stop drinking milk like babies. And so we've got to reject that mentality. We've got to see that it's not about me. It's about God. And it's about the other person. And the moment I lay myself down, the better off I'll be. Is what the Bible says. Places in their heart that are hidden from God. Things that God can't even touch. You've walled them off. And you know what happens when you wall something off? You wall it off from the bad thing, but you also wall it off from the good thing that can help you. And so anything that you said is off limits means that the healing is also off limits. Because if you hold on to it, God can't heal it. You've got to let it go. You've got to release it into his hands and then God will heal it. Because that's what he does. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, I think. Yes, come on. All right. I'm going to end with this um, last one. And this one really is devastating to me. This one's hard because it, it, it leads to orphan mentality and orphan thinking all, all ultimately sometimes can lead to uh, thoughts of suicide. It can lead to people le going to despair. It can. 
Systematic fatherlessness basically is, I have no home, no father, no hope, no point. And when it gets to no hope and no point, that's when people end their life. And that's why, guys, we live in a culture, like we have the highest suicide rate since World War II currently in our culture. That's what we're dealing with. We live in this interconnected internet world that everybody's connected, but why is it that we're so lonely? We think like orphans. We believe we don't have a father or a home. And that's the kind of stuff that starts to eat away at us. And the enemy loves every bit of it because he wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to steal everything that God wants to give you. You know, in this week, it was such a sad week for pastors. There was a guy, his pastor, his name's Pastor Jared Wilson. He was pastoring a large church in, in California. And the voices became too much. And as a result, he took his own life. He's a wife, two little boys. I mean, for all intent and purpose, he was living a great life. Matter of fact, on top of that, he was a champion for people who struggled with depression. He had a foundation for that. And pastors look at this and we're like, what? And I can't tell you how many pastors said, I wish he would have just called me. I wish he would have just called me. I'd have drove all the way across the country. And guys, that's the thing we've got to see. The enemy wants to isolate you and convince you that you have no hope, no friends, no future. And I don't even know you, some of you. But if you were in that spot, I'll get in the car. You know what I'm saying? There are people in this church that don't even know you that would get in the car. Why? Because you're a son. Because you're a daughter. And that's what you have. If you'll give it to the Lord, you'll have it. If you'll say, I'm in, you'll have it. And you'll have a father, and you'll have a home, and you'll have friends, and you'll have the things that you need because God wants to give it to you. All right. I'm about done. But I want to read this passage of scripture to you as we end, because you have to know how we get there. How do we get healed? Because now you've already went through the 16 and you're like, I got all of them. What do I do? Right? <laughs> Listen to this in Romans 8, 14 through 16. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. That's what it says. The Bible is very clear. It says the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about, look at this, adoption, adoption as a son, adoption as a daughter. And so you've been received and you can then stand and cry out, Abba, Father, because of your adoption. Even if you had a bad earthly father, the Bible says that you have a heavenly father that loves you. Verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How do I know I'm a child of God? The Spirit of God testifies in your spirit that you are a child of God, even if you don't feel it, is what the Bible says. And so here's the key point, and you have to understand this. The orphan spirit cannot be cast out like any old spirit. The orphan spirit has to be replaced 
And it has to be replaced with this adoption stuff. In other words, as the adoption as a son or daughter gets bigger in my life, as it expands, it pushes out the orphan mentality. Think about that. Like you're a container of the spirit. You're a container of a sonship, right? And as that gets bigger and grows stronger in your life, it pushes out all the other orphan junk that God wants to get out of your life. And sometimes it takes time. But we've got to start with really one step. And so I'll share two things that you do. Number one, and this is what everybody needs to do. Number one is we just have to repent. I call it hashtag turn around. Because that's what repentance means. Is you just turn and go in a different direction. And the Bible says that if you'll come to God and say, God, I need you. I'm willing to, I'm willing to put it at your feet. I'm willing to surrender to you and to what your will is. The Bible says that God will come in and do his work. And he's trustworthy, even if the enemy says he's not. And so you have to start with repentance. You have to say, God, I need you. God, I need your help. I can't do it on my own. I've tried to do it on my own. I need you today. And then finally, number two, is that I have to commit every day. Like every day? Yeah, every day. Like when you get out of bed in the morning, you have to commit that I'm not going to think like that. I'm not going to think like an orphan today. I am thinking like a son of God. I am thinking like a daughter of God. And every time the orphan spirit or mentality shows up in your brain, you say no. And you take hold of it. You put it under the authority of Jesus Christ and say, I will not live that way. And I know that's not easy. Because you get up, maybe in the morning you do your devotionals and you, you walk out the door and you get in your car and everything's good and you're like, son of God. And then somebody cuts you off. And then all of a sudden, you're an orphan again. It's that easy. And it can happen in a moment. That's why we got to have this power of God in us. Because it's something that we have to commit to every day. That makes sense, guys. All right. I hope this was helpful to you because we've got to get rid of this stuff so that we can be the sons and daughters of God and come home to a father that loves us so much. I want to read a declaration to you instead. I'm just going to read it and I'm going to put it on the screen. And y'all just follow along. Watch this. May this be your declaration. Father, I believe that you want me to live a life of freedom. I realize that I am, I, that all areas of darkness must be exposed to the light of your word. I will determine today to allow the light of the Holy Spirit to expose and defeat any strongholds in my life. I declare that I will no longer believe the lie of the enemy. I am accepted, not abandoned. I am loved, not rejected. I have a home. I am not homeless. I have a loving father. I am not fatherless. I will walk in the light. I reject the darkness. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Therefore, I will choose truth and I will pray as Mary prayed. Be it unto me according to thy word. Receive it today. May that be your declaration. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you're doing in this room right now. I know you're stirring people. You got them thinking. 
You got them thinking about their mentality. I thank you for it. God, I pray that, that, that anybody in this room that just is ready to turn around, that you'd receive their prayer. Just tell them, say, Lord, I'm re- I want to turn around. I want to start thinking like a son or daughter. I'm tired of thinking like an orphan. I need your help. So just surrender that to him right now. I do want to ask one question, though. Earlier, I talked about that you're able to know that you're a son or daughter of God based on whether or not you've given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I know that maybe in a room like this that some people have not made that commitment or finalized that relationship decision. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he'll come in and he will not, he will not only save you, but he'll set you free. And he'll give you a purpose. He'll give you a future. He'll give you everything that you need. The inheritance is waiting. And all you have to do is say, yes, I believe. And so as Jesus was dying on that cross, he did it for a purpose and you're that purpose. And so what I want to ask you to do today is if you don't know that you have a father and a home, an eternal home, that you just secure that today. And the way you do that is just simply saying that you would like to invite Christ into your life. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to point you out or anything. I just want to ask you to lift your hand up so I can see it. And I just want to pray with you. And so right now on the count of three, just lift your hand up. One, two, three. Go ahead. As a statement of faith. Go ahead. All right. God, I want to thank you for each person in this room. God, we believe that you're working behind the scenes in ways that we don't know. And so, church, we're all going to say this prayer together. And so let's say this prayer together. And if you did, raise your hand. Or if you wanted to, just simply pray this prayer with us. Let's all say it together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you change me from the inside out? I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? So good.